Shut up and sit down. Our water is highly, highly polluted. The marine animals that are dying. This is everybody's problem. We need to move faster and we need to move further to educate leaders because the leaders can then become the activists. Start to embrace the circular economy. Join the Planet Calls weekly podcast sessions where co-founders Leslie and Amor discuss topical issues around sustainability and how we can rebuild a more sustainable world. Thank you for tuning into Rebuilding a More Sustainable World podcast with your hosts, Leslie and Amor. Our guest today is James George, the Network Development Lead at Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Today, we're talking about how we can build sustainability into strategy and business development. Welcome to our show, James. We're thrilled that you could join us. Yeah, good morning. Thank you very much for for having me. Great Great to be here. James, lovely to have you on your show. James, you focus on developing and engaging with the business community for Ellen MacArthur Foundation to seek out opportunities for collaboration. You have a very holistic take on developing this network. Can you tell us how you see network development being able to advance organizations to a circular economy? Yeah, it's that's, it's a really good question. I, I think for me, any network, and, and there are so many groups now globally coming together to try and understand how they can they can collaborate and they can um, come together to solve some of the challenges that they face. But any network needs to be representative of the wider world around us. So, so whilst the network at the foundation is very heavily engaged with, with business, actually that's only one proponent of, of the solution, of this system engagement. Um, there's the governments, the cities, the, the institutions that we work with those organizations that need to drive policy, legislation, the framework to allow circular economic business to, to flourish. There's the work we do with universities and higher academic practitioners um, in order to take everyone on that learning journey. Because when you start to redesign systems and you start to bring a new vernacular around what a future world can look like, you need to take everyone on that journey, not just the smartest folks. It's got to be about taking everyone along so that it's accessible and that you see change. And then finally, you need the innovators, you need the, the entrepreneurs, the small to medium enterprises, the source of great disruptive technology. So whilst business as the engines of our global economies are really important, they're one part of that broader system. So, so the network has to be representative in order to make those solutions work, in order for that collaboration to be driven. What a great answer, because it's all about that inclusion. Um, and that's why, as I said, it's, it's such a holistic approach that you have around your network development. At The Planet Calls, we share the same ethos as the Ellen MacArthur Foundation in that sustainable development goals can be achieved through the application of circular economy principles. Now, in your line of work, I imagine that you come across a lot of different businesses at different stages of implementing circular economy principles into the core of their business models. We'd love to learn uh, of the process you follow selecting the right businesses and people to work with in order to find those that will foster a collaborative ethos with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 always tricky, right? There's, there is, first and foremost... We, we don't own the concept of circular economy. Um, and 
we're thought leaders. So, so we have our view, vision of what a future circular economy should look like, or, or in fact, just what the future economy should look like. Um, but actually, this is about understanding and identifying who are the real organizations that are going to have impact. How do we shift this 300-year-old global economy built on a couple of industrial revolutions um, that has driven growth for, you know, created trillions and trillions of dollars, lifted millions of people out of poverty um, and connected us across the globe? How do we make sure that as we shift to a new system, to a circular economy, we don't do it by avoiding um, all of those aspects that have got us to where we are now. The good news is we designed this economy that we sit in now. So we can redesign and design a future economy that is restorative and regenerative. So this isn't, this isn't an anti-growth agenda, but looking at areas of growth that are restorative and regenerative rather than consumptive and extractive that we see now and have done over the, 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 the growth of, growth of the global economies over the last few hundred years. So when we take a position to look for organizations to work with, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of um, absolute kind of decision that we take there. And there's a little bit of kind of understanding where the impact will be, depending on the industry, depending on the, the size of the organization. It's also worth pointing out that whilst we've been doing this for the last 10 years, the concept is, is relatively new in certain markets. Okay, in Europe, circular economy has been around for 10, 20 years in, in one, one guise or another. Um, in North America, it's probably only been on the, on the agenda for the last four to five years. Again, there's a different story when you look towards the Asia Pacific region. So one thing we have to always bear in mind is that people are at different stages in their journey. And that means that we don't just work with organizations that are perfect. Because if we're working with organizations that are perfect, what value are we adding? We need to be working with those organizations that recognize that there is a, a need to change and recognize that they need to show leadership. They need to have the right level of aspiration. But ultimately, it's going to be down to them to how they change their business model, their way of generating growth, their way of generating profit in a more restorative and regenerative way. So, so it's a little bit, that's a kind of long way of saying every approach that we look at when we're trying to work with organizations is based on a number of criteria that we have internally. We don't work with extractive um, industries, you know, mining, oil and gas, because for us, that doesn't have a place in a future circular economy. We don't work with um, other industries that might have you know, uh, connotations that don't support climate change and other um, biodiversity agendas that we see out there at the moment. But we also have to recognize, if you think we work with the likes of Coca-Cola, with PepsiCo, with Amcor and others within the, the plastic space, who no one is, is disillusioned to, to the point that they are the reason we are in some of the the predicaments and the challenges we find ourselves in around plastics uh, packaging and the challenges we face globally. Mm. But they but they are also part of the solution. Um, I would argue that Coke alone generates 30 million tons of plastic every year. Mm. That's just one organization. 
And if you and I, Leslie, and, and, and more as well, you know, if we carried out beach cleans, ocean cleanups every weekend for the rest of our lives, and all of our family members and our friends did the same, I would argue that pales into insignificance in terms of the impact we could have if we shifted Coca-Cola by 5%. So there, there is always a, there's always an element here around how do you engage with the system? How do you come upstream? So whilst a lot of activity, and if we stick with the plastics idea, whilst a lot of activity focuses on downstream solutions, which are really, really important, ocean cleanups, beach cleans, um, consumers making um, active choices, they're very much dealing with the, the problem at the point of where it's entering the environment, entering landfill, being incinerated. But what if we could come all the way back upstream to engage with those protagonists so that that material never enters the environment in the first place? So that when Coke creates a bottle, it remains a bottle indefinitely. It cycles in a system that works. And that system is designed around taking that material back and keeping it at its highest possible value whilst it circulates within our global economic systems. So the decision to work with organizations is always based on some very hard lines, very, you know, some red lines for us, but also it's about looking at what is the impact we can deliver by working with these organizations and also helping them to understand who are the other members of their value chain that they need to engage with in order to affect change. Such an inspiring answer. Thanks, James. Uh, quite interestingly, I was uh, speaking on a podcast show this week around circular economy uh, for an, a Singaporean um, podcast, and we also spoke a lot about um, the, the journey of everybody and how uh, not necessarily everybody is has you know circular economy principles at the core of their business, but it doesn't mean that you can't start working with them. Um, but the desire to want to be working towards a sustainable future is most important. And that's it's, it was a good comment how you made that. Um, so I've recently been studying the art of systems change. And I've always believed it begins with all leaders and investors and board members. So when leaders are ready to systemically change their businesses to adopt sustainability at the core of their business models, we get to shape a cleaner, healthier, and more sustainable world. In my opinion, Sustainable development cannot be achieved without circular economy, and a circular economy cannot be achieved without willing participants. What are your thoughts around how we can influence change in this world? Is it with leaders, investors, and board members only, or are there other ways? I think when you look at, uh, you know, and how do you change this? Systems are complex. Mm. Uh, some are complicated, but they are all complex. And when you try to solve a complex challenge, there's always a simple solution, which is always wrong. For a complex challenge, you need a complex solution. And that requires you to understand the complexity of that system. So when we're looking to shift, maybe it is the creation of plastics, maybe it is how we produce food globally and it's circulated. How do we direct capital investment towards the right kind of investments for the future? How do we make sure that the clothes that we buy are come from sustainable or organic sources where people are treated fairly uh, and there is a fair and just system? These are all complexities. So when you look to shift things like that, is it leadership? Is it board members? Is it investors? Is it consumers? Is it the guys and girls on the shop floor? Actually, it's everybody because you can't engage with the full 
complexity of that system unless you understand it. You need the leaders because unless you have the leaders, how do we know which direction to go in? That's For me, that's one of the challenges we face right now. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of action, which is amazing. But where do we, when do we get to a point where traveling one mile in 10 directions is not as effective as traveling in one direction for 10 miles? How do we make sure that this direction of travel that we're seeing is all pulling in the right direction or actually is some of this effort being distractive and therefore we're not, we're not getting the results we want quick enough. So you need clear leadership, you need a vision. Whether you are a multi-billion dollar company, a small emerging innovator, an individual, you need to know what good looks like for you. Um, but you then need your teams, you need the people around you, the people who make your products, who drive your services, who provide us with, co- you know, everyone needs to understand why this is always or, or also a challenge. So education is super important learning we can't hope to change the systems we exist in unless the people that operate in those exist systems understand why uh, and i'm sure you know the change transformation experts out there will you know that's that's the thing unless people unless your stakeholders and your shareholders understand why this is important why they're going to follow you if you're a leader you need the board members you need the the ceos the chairmen to have this on their agenda it might not be item number one but it needs to be on the agenda because unless the mandate is set, again, unless that leadership is shown, that courage is shown, you're not going to see change. You need the investors, the you know the capital markets of this world that drive growth. We've seen a remarkable shift within the financial community over the last 18 to 24 months around disinvestment from fossil fuels, oil and gas industries, um, in favour of more uh organizations businesses that have better credentials when it comes to circular economy and sustainability we work currently with with blackrock and tesla sao paulo pmb paribas hsbc and a number of others around how can we drive investor thinking for a transition towards a circular economy as a mechanism to drive circular economy and that is really really important because nothing focuses the mind of a board more than if an investor says, unless you start delivering on your sustainability strategy, we're going to start drawing down our investment. So the investor community is a real driving piece here as well. But then the consumer, we've seen countless examples of where, you know, terms like boycotting and boycotting are now driving the way that the industry thinks, especially the fashion industry, because the way that the consumer there, the user within the fashion industry has shifted um, it's thinking around how we consume fashion. So, so you need all of those elements. And I wouldn't say one is more important than the other. There are times when others have a great, when, when some have greater focus or greater impact over others. But holistically, you need to engage in all elements of that system in order to shift the way it operates. Mm. I think what's nice about having those leaders is that they do push for greatness and um, everyone follows. So the likes of Ellen MacArthur Foundation and you know what we do at the Planet Calls, uh, we lead by example, I think, and that's important. And, and it's, also, it's also worth pointing out as well that you know we're one organization in a, in a sea of organizations trying to drive impact and trying to do, trying to do good. And that's amazing, right? That if you look at the landscape now compared to where it was 
three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. It's very, very busy. Mm. That's really, that's really good news. But the challenge is always going to be about making sure that everyone now is pulling in the right direction if we want to see significant change. I was reading your news about the Lego Group partnering with uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation. A few years back, these sort of companies did not partner with the likes of your foundation. Have we finally reached the tipping point where corporations agree that the economy of the future is circular? And if they don't shift to this model now, they will ultimately be at the short end of the stick? I, I think that's, you know, that's exactly, that's exactly the reason why this is not this is a mega trend that's here to stay. Um, when you look at, and I just, I love Lego, right? I love the Lego group, the, the stuff they're doing, the stuff they've been doing on their own for many, many years behind closed, closed doors. And they're not alone. There are so many other organizations out there as well that have been driving innovation because they've recognized they have to move in this direction because if they don't, then they're not going to survive. I think it's something like in, in the 1970s, the average age or the average life expectancy of a company was 70 years. Mm. Today, the average life expectancy of a company is less than 12. Mm. So unless organizations innovate, unless organizations react to the stimulus that they're seeing, to the challenges that they're seeing, unless they change and shift and remain adaptable, they are going to get left behind, whether that's through customer boycotting, whether that's through legislative change, whether that's through geopolitical instability, absence of rare earth metals, whatever it might be, they have to adapt, they have to change, which is why a circular economy for me is part of that solution, part of that change. Because if companies can secure their material feedstocks because they know the materials they're putting into the economy, they can track them, they can get them back, they can reuse them. That then becomes an economic argument. They don't have to pay for new virgin material. They don't have to pay for new energy to transform or change that, that material. They don't have to worry about dealing with waste because they're able to capture that material back and take it back into the system and make the next generation of products. So companies are, are realizing they've got so far in this journey. And even the largest industries, if you take something like the automotive industry, the automotive industry for the last probably 10, 15 years, have been looking at two concepts that dominate the discussions we see today, electric vehicles and automation. Because the automotive industry is full of thousands and thousands of extremely smart engineers, innovators, visionaries, who can see this is where the industry is going. So they don't need necessarily help of others because they, they've got the ability to innovate themselves. They've got the technology and the understanding of their product to innovate themselves. But even now, in the last six months, my, myself as an individual, I'm speaking to more and more automotive companies. The reason being is they all recognize they can get so far on their own. But now they realize that they have to collaborate. And the important thing is about collaborating pre-competitively. This isn't about necessarily sharing your secret source, but coming together with members of your own industry, sympathetic industries, um, or members of your value chain, 
to reset what the landscape looks like for the future. And businesses are starting to see that as the commercial opportunity, the commercial advantage to change the landscape, to show leadership, to build better relationships with their consumers, to build better relationships with their suppliers, and actually make sure that this is very much a fiscal argument. For us at the foundation over the last 10 years, we focus on the economy of a circular economy. There are clearly societal and environmental benefits. And there are lots of organizations that, that work on that. But for us, it's about focusing on the fiscal argument. Because what we found very early on is if you walk into a boardroom and talk about better restorative and regenerative growth, growth in flat markets, better engagement with your consumer through leasing models or engagement models, greater opportunities to grow profit in new areas. This resonates much better than if you stand in front of them and say, if you don't do this, bad things will happen. So it's about identifying the economic rationale because we live in an, you know, the linear system, as I said, you know, has been built over two to 300 years about quarter on quarter, year on year growth. We can't dismiss that overnight. We have to transition with the existing framework to find a new system that works. So it's about making this a growth agenda, but growth in a new way, which is why the fiscal argument is extremely important when we look to shift our local, our national and our global economies. It makes a lot of sense because as you say, it's there's an economic interest there and a lot of companies are choosing not to go circular because they feel there's going to be a loss. When in fact, you know, if you do start reusing your materials, there's a lot of saving in that as well. So I, I do love that um, that explanation you've just given us. I feel that if we all share experiences and exchange our sustainability views and expertise to develop a new common and powerful theory of change, we could accelerate toward a more sustainable world. Do you have any thoughts on how we can create more dialogue on reframing governance to create more transformation? If yes, do you know which of the foundations, European corporations and governments are most proactive in enabling transformation and how do you think we can work more closely with them? Well, wow, there's quite a bit to unpick there and I, I wonder if we'll get to all of it with the time we've got left. Um, it's, it's really important. You know, as we, as we spoke about a couple of questions ago, you need that enabling policy, you need that enabling framework to allow businesses to, to operate in a more circular and sustainable way. Um, we've seen huge, huge strides um, from the European Commission around the Green New Deal, um, the follow-up circular economy plan that came from that. And actually this week, um, our, our um, executive lead for Institute Governance Cities, um, Jos Blerier, was chatting with, with Franz Timmermans um, for, our, for our annual summit around exactly the role circular economy plays in the future for for Europe. And that's a really, really encouraging position to be in. We can't, you know, back to some of the earlier points, we can't do this by acting alone. We need to bring together all elements of the system to shift the way it, the way it operates. In Europe, it's really easy to see how business has been asking for this legislation for, for a long time as a, as a mandate for them to be able to operate differently in the future. 
You cross the Atlantic towards North America, very different landscape. It's actually the businesses there that are, that are driving change because they can't get the, the federated agreement that they need to see a shift in legislation. So different geographies need different levers at different times. One of the other things to take into consideration is that over the last six, seven months, we've seen a huge amount of fragility globally because of COVID and the pandemic. It's affected globally almost everyone in, in a variety of different ways. And that story hasn't fully played out, but what it has highlighted is the reinforcement and the importance of these cross conversations between the policymakers and the businesses. And we're seeing dialogue happen that we couldn't have dreamed happening 18 months ago because everyone is focusing on solving the solution of either building back better, generating resilience, whatever is the, the metric that you're using, but realizing that needs to be done in collaboration. There are, there are, the really encouraging thing is there are a huge amount of organizations in Europe who are leading the charge when it comes to this. We work with some of them, but not all of them. You know, the likes of Danone, Unilever, um, you know, organizations with a huge global standpoint um, and a clear opportunity to um, create impact and shift the way their value chains and their consumers interact with their products. And they're doing that because one, they want to show leadership, of course they do. But they also realize, back to my previous point, that it makes economic sense for the future. Because if they don't change, they won't survive or they won't survive in the form they, they find themselves right now. So the, the policy component, the, the, the conversations between businesses and um, you know, governments, cities, municipalities is infinitely important as we start to map out what these future systems should look like. I think, as you say, the past seven, eight months, everything has been so accelerated. Um, and you know that fragility is highlighted. So valuable point because um, it was the, the greatest thing we needed was the sort of opportunity. And I'm actually very excited about the progress that we are making and what the next year and two actually lie ahead. We seem to have run out of time, but we're delighted that you could join us today on our show. Thank you so much, James. I mean, I, I do have a tendency to monologue, so, you know, it's good that you kept me on track and, and interrupted. Um, as, as I typically say to, to very many people, this is the start of the conversation. This is where, you know, it is moving, but it's definitely not moving quick enough. And it's not moving quick enough for us to see the effects we want to see to stay below one and a half degrees um, as the Paris Climate Change Accords at the end of the year. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. More than happy to always have conversations. Um, check out ellenmacarthurfoundation.org. Um, all of our work there is, is listed and is open source. Um, and do get in touch. And thank you very much again for having me. And, and thank you for, for quizzing me. And I look forward to, to talking to you and, and more again in the, in the future. Wonderful, James. Great to have you on our show. Cheers for now.